Good morning. Quite a few years ago, I was at my friend's house and we were out in his garage and we were talking about getting some new tires for my car when his youngest son came out and asked his father for $20. So his father quickly asked him what he needed the money for. His son said that he was going out and he needed some money for gas and a couple extra dollars for himself. Well, immediately his father started to ask all the pertinent questions like, where's your mother and did you ask her for it? Well, his son said that his mom was gone to the store and she wouldn't be back for a little while. So then his father started asking him, well, what did you do with the money I gave you last week? And better yet, what did you do with your money? Well, as his son started to try to answer these questions, let me back up. His son had a small part-time job, but he really didn't make that much money. And so as he tried to answer his dad's questions, he realized very quickly that getting this $20 from his father was not going to be as easy as it would have been if his mother would have been home. So um, he did the only thing he could. He didn't want to wait for his mother to come back home to try to get the money from her. So he did the only thing he could. He reached way back and he threw his best Hail Mary at his father. He declared in his best adult and mature voice, just give me the $20 now and take it off my inheritance. <laughs> well, he's a very intelligent young man. So his father quickly looked over at me and by this point I'm dying laughing. And I said, he's got a great point. Give the kid the 20 bucks. Right? So to make a long story short, his father did give him the $20, and after his son left, me and his father continued to laugh about that and talk about the whole situation. Now remember I said that his son was a very intelligent young man? His son knew and understood who his father was and what that meant. And because of this relationship to his father, he knew that there was this thing called an inheritance. And he knew that it was something that he was supposed to get in the future. Now, he may not have fully understood all the details of what that meant. But he did know that he was supposed to get one. Now, why was he supposed to get an inheritance? Well, because he was one of his father's children. And he had heard that you get an inheritance when you're part of a family. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. It's found on page 944 in the Pew Bibles located in front of you. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please feel free to take that one home with you as a gift from us here at Old North. Our focus this morning will be on Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Today we're going to talk about and focus on adoption into God's family leads to an inheritance. Adoption into God's family leads to an inheritance. Please follow along as I read Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself 
bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. As we read this, we must recognize or notice that we first must be adopted by God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may be asking the question, you mean that I'm not automatically adopted by God when I'm born? No. When you are born, you are automatically a creation of God's, but you're not a child of God's. There's a huge difference between being a creation of God's and being a child of God's. Now, it's not uncommon in this day and age for us to hear people say, we're all God's children and we should love one another. Well, this is one of those statements that when you first hear it, you go, wow, that sounds good, must be true. Well, while it's partially true that we should love everyone, what's not true is that we're all automatically children of God and adopted into his family. So then you may be thinking, if you're not automatically a child of God's when you're born, then how do you get adopted by God? Well, first you need to recognize why you're not a child of God's. And the reason why you're not a child of God's and adopted into his family is because you are in bondage to sin and held captive to the flesh. Please read along with me verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now look up earlier in chapter 8, and you will notice that in verses 7 and 8, Paul tells them the following. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is he is contrasting the difference between living in the spirit, which brings life, and living in the flesh, which brings spiritual death. You see, we all have been condemned by the law of sin and death and are in need of being set free. This applies to every human ever born to man and woman. Look at verse 13. It tells us, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now you may be thinking, doesn't everybody die sooner or later? So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. This passage is referring to dying a spiritual death. And dying a spiritual death means total and complete separation from God for all of eternity. And this will happen because you have rejected his son, Jesus Christ, in his atoning work on the cross. So how are we set free from the flesh and the law of sin and death? Look further up in chapter 8 with me at verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation. The word condemnation means judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
So if, you've been ex- so if you have accepted the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf, and you have asked him to be your personal savior, then you are, you are in Christ, and the spirit dwells in you, and you have been set free, and therefore are not, are not condemned by the flesh and the law of sin and death. But if you haven't accepted the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf and ask him to be your personal savior, then you are not, are not in Christ, and thereby you are in the flesh and are condemned by the flesh and the law of sin and death. Before I go any further, I want to make sure that we understand what it means to be in the flesh. To be in the flesh means being ruled or led by your fleshly desires. Those fleshly desires rule over your decision-making process. Because of being in the flesh, your personal satisfaction overrules what the Word of God has said about how we are to live our lives holy and pleasing to Him. Now, it's at this point where it's really easy for us to say, oh, he's not talking about me. He's talking about that other guy. You know, the one who's greedy and money's the only thing that matters to him, so it controls him, and that's what he means about living in the flesh. Or he's talking about he or she who's having an affair, and their physical desires is what controls them, so they're the ones that are living in the flesh. Well, if you said this, you would be right. But you, would, you may also be so focused on the extreme examples of living in the flesh that you miss the small, subtle ways of living in the flesh. Remember, the big things like sex and money are so much easier to see and focus on than the small, subtle examples of living in the flesh. That's why Satan loves to use the small, subtle ways of living in the flesh against us. Because before we know it, those small, subtle ways of living in the flesh will influence us and produce a slow fading away from God. And the next thing we know, we're living in the flesh instead of living in the spirit. What are some of those small, subtle ways or examples of living in the flesh? Well, how about gossiping to your friends about people and their problems? Or maybe it's being prideful on social media like Facebook or Instagram, where you're consumed with telling everyone or showing off what you're doing so that those looking at your page can be impressed with you. Or maybe it's Ohio State and the Buckeyes that when they're playing, Nothing else matters. It controls your plans, desires, and actions. Maybe it's hunting, fishing, golf. Any of these things can be subtle examples of living in the flesh if we let them interfere with our relationship with God and what he has called us to do. And if we let it interfere with our relationship with God's people and his church. So if you have accepted the atoning work of Jesus' cross, Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf, and you have asked him to be your personal savior, you are now in Christ. And because you are now in Christ and living by the spirit and not the flesh, you have been accepted and adopted by God the Father. You may now ask, what's next? Well, adoption by God leads to the benefits of being a child of God. Adoption by God leads to the benefits of being a child of God's. 
What we're going to do now is we're going to look at some of the earthly benefits that we have because we've been adopted by God. Notice what verse 12 says. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Immediately, we see the first of our many benefits. So then, brothers. The word brother that Paul is using here refers to fellow believers in Jesus Christ. When you are adopted by God and become a child of his, you automatically become a part of his family. And one of the benefits of being part of his family is that you belong to a community of believers or what we call the local church. When you belong to a community of believers or the local church, the natural expression of belonging to that local church family is being an active participant in the daily and weekly activities of that local church. This is just what families do. Being part of a community of believers or belonging to a local church has many benefits. God has established the community of believers to strengthen us, to encourage us, to give us a place to be able to share our spiritual gifts with each other so that we will be better prepared to do the work that God has given us, each one of us. So to continue in verse 12, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We're told in the last part of verse 12 that we are no longer debtors to the flesh. Why are we no longer debtors? Because if you are in Jesus, he has already paid your debt in full on the cross at Calvary. Now the only debt that you have is to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and to live your life according to the Holy Spirit, and to glorify your Father in heaven in all that you say and do. Follow along as I read verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We see here in verse 13 that we have been given the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that we can live lives free from the bondage of the flesh and the law of sin and death. Once again, we see here that if you live by the Holy Spirit, you will live. But if you don't live by the Holy Spirit and you live by the flesh, you will die. Verse 14 and 15 highlights our relationship with the Holy Spirit and God the Father. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Notice that in verse 15, the word Abba is a Hebrew word and that the word Father is a Gentile word. This verse helps us to understand that God is not just the father of the Jews, but he is also the father of the Gentiles. God is the father of all that have accepted Jesus Christ, his son, as Savior, Lord, and King. Now let's take a moment and unpack the first part of verse 15. We just got done talking about the last half of 15, which is that we get to call God Abba Father. But I want to make sure we don't miss out on the first part. In the beginning part of verse 15, we see that we have been freed from the spirit of slavery of fear. Now, the fear that's being talked about here is not the fear of losing your job or a health issue. Or even the fear that a spouse doesn't love you anymore and they may want to leave you. I think we can all agree that those issues can cause great fear and be very stressful. But that's not the fear that God is freeing you from in this passage. 
The fear that God is freeing you from in this passage is complete and total separation from him for all of eternity. So how does this slavery to fear affect the believer? Well, what it does is it makes us slaves to fear. That fear that God is constantly judging us on whether or not he will keep us in his family. We become fearful that we will do something that will get us kicked out of the family. And because of that slavery to fear, we become inefficient or ineffective to do the work that God has called us to do. Now, earlier I mentioned dying a spiritual death and what that meant. And if you remember, it meant complete and total separation from God for all of eternity. I was once in an adult Sunday school class here at Old North, and we were talking about sin and repentance and what that looked like. When one of the men in the class started to talk about his fear, his real fear, that he would sin by doing something, saying something, thinking something that would be sinful, and that he would die before he got a chance to repent and ask for, for God's forgiveness. And therefore, he was afraid that he would die and be eternally separated from God. He was so afraid that this could happen that as he told us, he started to cry. Now, I'm not just talking like the little tears that kind of roll down your cheek. I'm talking about heart-wrenching crying. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not how your Father in Heaven wants you to live. He wants you to be free from that fear. He wants you to know that you are His and that He loves you. Verses 16 and 17 are now going to tell us how we can know um, that we are adopted by God and therefore a child of His and not be afraid. Please look with me at verse 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. To have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bear witness with our spirit is so that we will know that we've been adopted by God. We won't have to wonder if we've been adopted by God because the Holy Spirit himself will confirm this to us. Now that moves us to verse 17, which tells us that we are heirs of God and fellow co-heirs in Christ, provided that we suffer with him. Now, the first part of that sounds great. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. But the second part, provided we suffer with him, may not sound so appealing. So what does this provided we suffer with him mean? Well, this goes back to being in Christ. Since we are in Christ, we will be part of the blessings that the Father has bestowed on Jesus. But since we are in Christ, we will also suffer for his namesake. We will be scorned, persecuted, and rejected because we love and follow Jesus Christ our Savior, King, and Lord. And if we do this, we will be glorified with him. The sad truth is that many people who call themselves Christians today have never been scorned, persecuted, or rejected because they follow Jesus Christ. The real truth is that they live their lives so much like the world around them that when the world looks at them, it sees itself. And if the world sees itself, there is no reason to reject, persecute, or scorn them. 
It takes true faith to openly walk with Jesus. It takes true faith to openly talk about Jesus with family, friends, and coworkers, knowing that you may be scorned, persecuted, and rejected. So today you need to ask yourself the hard questions. Am I going to live like the world lives and continue to be openly accepted by the world? Or am I willing to be different, different for God? Am I willing to stand out from the world and walk in faith and live the life that God has called me to? Now we just got done talking about some of our earthly benefits that we have because we've been adopted by God. Now let's take a look at what our eternal inheritance is. Adoption by God leads to an inheritance. Adoption by God leads to an inheritance. If you notice, I made a distinction between the word benefits and the word inheritance. The reason I did this is because a lot of people only think about an inheritance after somebody has died. Usually we think about a benefit as something we get immediately or at least very soon. As a child of God's, you receive an immediate benefit right now on earth, which is part of your inheritance given to you by God the moment that you were adopted into his family. Think for a moment about your own child. The moment you brought that baby home from the hospital, you brought them into the house and they immediately started to receive the benefits of being your child and being part of your family. You didn't wait until that baby could do a little housework, maybe cut some grass or get you something to drink before you decided to give them a benefit. Now, some of us may still be waiting for that child to do something around the house. <laughs> Just saying. No, that benefit came immediately. And why did it come immediately? Because that child came from you and your wife. That child is yours and now part of your family. And we also receive an immediate benefit from God because we are in Christ. Not because of what we've done to earn it, just like your child, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And if we are in Christ, then we are immediately and fully accepted and adopted by God into his family. Our earthly benefits and our eternal inheritance is our hope. This is what we long for. One is our current hope. The other is our future hope. And the and our hope also lies in the fact that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. That because God has given us to Jesus, no one can snatch us out of his hand. And that one day Jesus will come back for us and that he will take us home to heaven where our true citizenship lies. Now remember, adoption by God leads to an inheritance. Some people here today may have been promised that they would receive an inheritance one day in the future only to find out that that inheritance was no longer there or that somebody else took it. Some people here today may feel like there's no way they're going to get an inheritance. It's just not in the cards. Those things may be true in some of the families sitting here today, but that's not how things work in God's family. An inheritance is meant to be special. An inheritance is something that is given to a person to signify a special relationship or show a deep relational connection. Our inheritance from God is special. It's personal and it's valuable. God just hasn't given us some really hasn't given us some really nice stuff as part of our inheritance. 
He has given us the most valuable and generous gift in all of the universe. He has given us himself. God himself for all of eternity is part of our glorious inheritance. Adoption by God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit guarantees our earthly and eternal inheritance. Adoption by God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit guarantees our earthly and eternal inheritance. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is part of our inheritance. This is what God the Father has in store for you. It's worth reading one more time so that we can let it soak in. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Remember, adoption by God leads to an inheritance. Now you may ask, how do we know for sure that we're going to receive all these things? We can be absolutely certain that we will receive these things because God the Father has told us so in his word. And he has also given us his spirit, his Holy Spirit, as a guarantee of our inheritance now and in the future. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul tells us, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to praise of his glory. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ. As you leave this morning, I want you to walk away from this service encouraged. I want you to know that if you've been adopted by God, you are loved by him, and you have received an earthly benefit and an eternal inheritance. Please listen carefully to the words in Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, and chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. Let these words form a picture in your mind. When you leave here today, I want you to have this picture that God has given us clearly in your mind. I want you to be excited and encouraged about your glorious inheritance that you will receive from God the Father because you have been adopted by him. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. No longer will there be anything accursed, 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Thank you for your attention this morning.